and be the family of God and and uh, point to the one common thing that we all have as as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a blessing to witness. It is a amazing thing. Uh, thank you for sharing it. And uh, let's let's pray as the family of God this morning, and we'll dive into our text today. Uh, your timing is excellent, by the way, Terry. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would uh, you would just draw us together as your family. Draw us together as as the body of Christ. Draw us together as people who uh, belong to you because your Son died for us. Um, help us to be uh, help us to be yours. I pray that you would help me to speak the word, uh, dig into the the depths of the scriptures, and bring out the treasures of of your gospel and and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And and I pray that you would be with folks who are here that that they would hear from you that strongholds would be torn down, that rocky places the the rocks would be picked and the soil made clean and ready for for planting and harvest. Lord God, wherever there are weeds, I pray that your spirit would spray over them and and wipe them out. Lord. Um, you know that that whatever it is that's getting in the way of us knowing Christ more intimately, that you would that you would uh, bring it out of us. Um, and we praise you for the for the unity that we see in Christ uh, uh, at the state championship basketball game, and and we praise praise you for it here, in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I uh, actually my first you see I'm not controlling my slide, so I'm going to tell you when to bump them. Uh, this is my family. Right. I uh, I came here. That bottom right one uh, has been just rattling around in my head, that photo, because that's us out in uh, a field of uh, poo, I think, at the uh, at the Bitsis house uh, years ago, uh, 11 years ago now. Uh, this is us just this past week because it popped up on my timeline on Facebook. Uh, and I got the wrong date, and a bunch of people gave me grief about it. Thank you, church, or you know who you are. Uh, the, uh, but this was 11 years ago. Like we, uh, Jessica, Abby, and I were there. This is my family, you know, the fledgling, you know, version of the family. And and up top there, the top right is uh, my wife and I on our wedding day, and and uh, you know her brother and her sister and her dad and. Uh, my best man is a pastor in Canada now, I think. He's doing mission work to a third world country. Um, and, of course, my son and I and and uh, our family at Christmas. And, and this is family, right? Like, in family is this thing that we need. Like, God has built into us um, from the very beginning that we were to have a relationship with each other and him. Um, it's uh, a huge thing when God looks at Adam and says, it is not good that man is alone. Um, and a lot of times we read that and we miss that there is a moral, like, perfection-type impl- implication to that not good, meaning that things are not right, things are out of whack. And, and so we're supposed to have family. We're supposed to be connected to each other. And um, actually, like, 90% of advertising aimed at adults at this point is all about connection and family, right? Cell phone commercials, you know, they show you a happy family. You know, go to Pizza Hut and you're... Kids won't stare at their phones. They'll actually talk to you. By the way, that doesn't work. Um, shh, Titus. Uh, and actually, this is, my, this is my blood family. This is my wife, myself, our two children. And then actually, a few years after we came here, we picked up another one, uh, which is on my next slide. That's Josh. He's not here for me to embarrass. Uh, but Josh is our family, right? Like, we love him. Uh, he's got to be one of our kids because he drives me nuts. 
uh, <laughs> he and the other two fight like nobody's business, right? So that is in the, like, and I am proud of him beyond words. Like, and he is, he is ours, right? Like, he, he's not blood, but he's our kid. He is, he is our family. And there's never any discussion. Like, we, we made it clear to everybody in the extended family, like, Josh is a part of our family. He is, you treat him like you treat our kids. And, um, and it's awesome. It's a huge blessing. The thing I figured out was adding kids, it does not diminish the amount of, like, love and, like, like uh, energy you have to spread around. Well, energy, yeah, it does. But the, <laughs> it doesn't diminish the amount of love available for everybody else. It increases it for everyone. And it was a huge blessing. And like when we think of family, we tend to think of that. And actually, y'all being from here, you have extended family, a lot of them that live like a block away, right? Uh, for better or for worse. Um, this is my extended family. Top left there is my sister and her kids uh, and her husband. I saw him in Chicago. This is outside of one of the, uh, I think, the, the History Museum or the Field Museum. I don't remember. Uh, now, but that is my sister and her kids, and and top left is my cousin. I was at his wedding. That's him and his wife, and like my cousin, I love him dearly. I saw him a couple times this year in the past year, and it's a huge blessing. Um, bottom right, that's him too, but that's family, right? Like in the middle, actually, we weren't at the family picture, so my cousin photoshopped us in along with Jessica's pet eagle on her shoulder. Uh, <laughs> Uh, bottom left is my brother and his family. My brother is just one of the coolest people I know. Uh, I, I, it's weird having a younger brother that you aspire to be like sometimes, right? You look at him and you think, man, if I could do more of that. And I am just so deeply proud of him. And that is family too, right? Like, so we, we think of family, we think of wife, kids, that stuff. And then we start thinking extended family, right? And like Sheila, who's in the top left, I hadn't seen her in, it was like, Eight years since the last time we saw her, when we ran into when we saw him at the wedding in January, and uh, she and I have a running joke. Picked it right up, and we're teasing each other and laughing and having a great time, and, and it was wonderful because families like that, right? You don't have to be in the same place to still be family. So I take another step here. These are people who are my family, right? And actually, I'm in a room full of them. I couldn't find. This is like in. I've been trying to think of how to talk about this. And I, I just jammed together photos. I could have done this all day. I've got one of my photos in my office is of uh, Terry and, like, four other guys standing underneath a tent at the brisket cook-off, like, early in the morning after setting the thing up. And we all stood together and took a picture. And it is just one of the most, like, yeah, I love these guys. You know, and, and we become family with, you know, Denver is on the top there. He Denver's one of my... You know, I call him when I got problems. I call him when I'm depressed. He talks to me when he's got problems. Like, like uh, John and and Jeremy, who I love dearly, and um, Anne with Abby on the horse, uh, who was our you know stand-in grandma because we live so far away. But like, like these people, you know, all of y'all over the years, you've just integrated into our into our lives. And what we're going to talk about today is actually from Mark where Mark begins to talk about, like, it's the last little bit from that sandwich, and we touched on it before, where Christ talks about mothers and brothers. Who are my mothers and brothers? You know, and, and he says, these people here, the ones who do God's will. And, like, what he's talking about this idea is this idea that, like, there are people in your life who are your blood. And if you are um, blessed, they're also in this second family. But all of us who follow Christ become integrated and adopted and become, like, fundamentally a part of another family, 
right? And it's a family that is, um, that is eternal. It's a family that is, that's come about because we are a part of Jesus, like because Christ has adopted us, bought us, and then we are brothers and sisters to him. We are brothers and sisters to each other. Um, last one here, actually. This is from the weekend, we, and actually one from a few years ago, another weekend. Went up to the men's retreat, and this was a unique men's retreat for me because I got to watch uh, Jeremy and Adam get up and talk. And, like, uh, Jeremy, I have spent years working with Jeremy and, and just watching him grow and mature and become, like, a, just a, a really a deep man, like a profound person. And, and getting to see him speak and preach, just, I, I feel proud. I, I am proud of my son all the time. Um, and I, he's not in here to hear me say it, so it's his fault. I am so proud of my boy, and I tell people stories about him and how awesome he's doing or the fact that he does better dad jokes than me now or whatever. Like I'm, I spent most of the weekend talking about Titus and, and being proud of him, but I'm also proud of Jeremy, and I'm proud of Adam, like watching Adam get up and talk and then watching Adam engage with people and talk to them about Jesus and, and pray with people and encourage, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, like, I am just proud of these guys. I was so proud of Adam. I took the, that picture and another one and during his talk, and I texted it to Teal with a big, long, like, heartfelt note about how proud I was of him and how much of a blessing they were. And then I got a text back, wrong number. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but by the grace of God, I've been able to, like, share my life with these guys. Um, Mark there, who took off this morning, um, watching Mark mature and grow spiritually and having conversations with him about Jesus and about his walk with the Lord and all that. Like, I remember 10 years ago when I first started talking to Mark regularly, he's just not the same person. And you get these moments where you get to hit the brakes and say, oh my gosh, I'm proud of that guy, right? And like the blessing we get, uh, if you want to bump me forward there, and then I won't tell you to move him forward at all. You can figure it out. Um, the blessing that we get uh, in Christ, the blessing that we get in uh, like walking with Christ, being in Christ, working toward his ends in this world and in our own lives, like, like is that we become family and we become grafted into a whole other family. And it's the family that's like sitting around the room here, right? We are, we are the body of Christ. We are family together. And it is a beautiful and wonderful blessing. Um, it is a blessing for those who don't have family, for those who don't have connection and relationship because they're grafted in. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, as we dive into our text, uh, a little background. I'll do this super fast because I, sometimes I get bogged down in the intro, and this was that day. <laughs> I know. Don't roll your eyes at me. I know I talked about family too much. I'm so proud of Adam and Jeremy, like so proud. I had to brag about them, okay? Um, and that's why Cars 3 was the best movie um, in the series. Uh, all right, this series so far, we're working through Mark very slowly. This is actually, we're going to break away from Mark after this week, probably. Um, and we're going to kind of do some Easter, Good Friday, you know, Holy Week related stuff, okay? Because um, ideally I should be preaching Lent and I didn't want to let go. I like this, so I wanted to do Mark. Um, 
But the series so far, like this little section here is a sandwich. It is a sandwich of events that sort of create a literary structure. Um, and they are all circled around people who are trying to limit the ministry and the work of Christ, who have looked at him and said, this isn't okay. How do I get in the way? How do I stop what you're doing? How do I lessen it? And like um, the final point in it is this little bit. And it's this little bit that, that you know, not only is it a warning, but it's huge blessing. Um, and so as we're kind of dive into this, the first attempt to limit him was people who were of him. Uh, it doesn't say family directly. It may have been his direct family. It may have been people who knew his family. But they were there. They said, he is insane. We're going to tie him up and lock him in the basement. And, like, that's it. And then we have the uh, teachers of the law who show up, and they're like, oh, he's casting out demons of the devil. And, like, oh, his work is of the devil. He's not, you know, the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy or whatever. Um, and then we get to... Uh, uh, the last one, which is his mother and brothers are outside and they're like, hey, we're here. And Jesus is told, hey, they're looking for you. And the word looking in the text, I'll get to it in a second. Actually, I might as well just read that. Um, real quick, last thing. Family in ancient Jewish culture. It is difficult to overstate how much family meant and actually how much Christianity has changed the world. We look at people and say, that guy needs help. I'm going to help him. Right? I, I saw a great talk from an Indian fella uh, who was a, a preacher, and he said, uh, he said, growing up in India, there was a saying that he remembered always, the tears of another man's family are only water. Meaning, if the other man's family is crying, tough. You worry about your family, right? And that was very much like Jews looked out for Jewish people. Um, they looked out for Jewish people in particular who were family. They didn't like Samaritans. They actually didn't like anybody who wasn't Jewish. You really dig into it. They were really just, I don't know, like, I don't want to use the R word because it's overused today, but, like, they were straight-up racist. Like, they didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like Romans. They didn't like anybody. You were Jewish or you were nothing. Um, and so, like, understand, like, family was everything. And to discredit or say anything negative or disown family was deeply offensive. Like it was considered, in fact, actually Jesus' uh, words here, I read one commentary that said that um, Jesus went, like what he said was the sort of thing that a Jew would look at and say, yeah, the Messiah wouldn't say something like that. Like that is too bad. The Messiah wouldn't talk like that. Um, so it's kind of a shocking text and I really want to like bring that out. Um, so Jesus is pointing to the contrast that exists. Big idea before we read our text point of the contrast exists between those who are limiting and those who are working with him in his ministry. And understand, right before all this limiting stuff, he calls apostles. And he says, you guys are my representatives. You're going to go out and do my work. You're going to be my people. You're going to speak with my voice. You are my representatives. You carry the power of the kingdom of God with you. It's like a kid with dad's credit card, right? Or dad's gone, I guess. Like that's more. Anyway. Um, and so he has sent them out, and then he encounters all these people who want to hit the brakes. And we get to the very last little section of our sandwich. Then Jesus' and, mother and brothers arrive. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now, there's a bunch of words in here that don't translate well uh, from the original uh, Koine Greek, because they mean... Like, all of this looking for you stuff means they are looking to kind of 
kind of limit what you're doing. They're looking for you with the intent of getting in the way. Um, some commentaries point out like that the way that this doesn't really, like it sort of matches with the, hey, he's crazy, let's tie him up, right? Like it could be that they were looking to do that. It's also possible that they heard that he's saying some big things and they're like, yeah, we need to go protect that guy for his own good. Um, mom's in the room. You ever watch your son doing something awesome or something that your dad knows is awesome? And you're like, that's not awesome. That's dangerous. Knock it off. But like he, his friends and dad all know this is awesome. Right. But mom says, hey, hey, get down. You're going to hurt yourself. Put that knife away. You'll hurt yourself. You'll shoot your eye out. Like there's a theory that maybe mom has showed up to kind of save him from himself because he's doing stuff that's going to get him killed. Like, and no joke, he is doing stuff that will get him killed. And so it's possible that was the take. Um, and so they tell him, your mother and your brothers are outside. In the normal world of Jewish, like, family, mom gets to call his attention. Like, honor your mother and father is a binding thing, right? Um, and I would argue uh, it was probably to some degree next to honor God in Jewish culture. I think that's the reason that it's the first in the table of uh, commandments for humans is because it's like right next to, you know, like, so it's the first one for humans and the first one for God is, you all understand this or is this goofy? The first one for God, the first commandment is honor God above all else. Then like there are all these God commandments and the first human commandment is honor your mother and father. And like you were never ever, ever dishonor your parents. To dishonor your parents at, like, during ancient, ancient Israel, like, you could get stoned for that. Like, they could kill you as punishment for it. Let that be a warning to you, children. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He doesn't say father. Watch this. Probably at this point, Joseph is dead. Just saying. It was more often than not that men were much older than their wives because women would marry men who were financially established, right, and could take care of a wife. Uh, there's a whole lot more going on there. I don't want to dig into it, but probably most people are of agreement that, like, like Joseph had died at this point. And so, but he doesn't say father because um, the heavenly father is the father. Nobody is Jesus' father except for Jesus. However, uh, we do see where Paul at different points says, hey, this guy's my spiritual son. How, well, how's that? Well, I brought him to Christ. I raised him in Christ. He is my son. Because, like, the scriptures emphasize this, like, connection that we have on a spiritual level. And that's actually where we're going to go at, go in this text. And I'm probably going to cut some on the fly because I know I have too much. Uh, and prayer went long, which is awesome. Um, and I didn't start my timer, so I don't know how long I've been talking. Um, so then he looked at the circle. So he sits, he looks around, and this has happened twice in Mark already. When Jesus looks around at everyone in the room, he is about to drop a bomb. Right. Like that is a moment of hit the brakes, look around, dramatic pause. And he's waiting. He's asked a rhetorical question. Who are my mother and brothers? And everybody knows something big is about to happen because mothers and brothers are a taboo topic. You don't talk about mamas. Right. Um, And then he says, look, my mother's my mother or my brothers, my sister and my mother 
um, are the people who do God's will. People who are going in the same direction that Christ is. Um, Christ talks about it over and over again, that he is submissive to the Father, that he does the Father's will. That is what his mission is, is to do the Father's will. It's just to go to the cross and everything else because the Father commands him and as the Son, he is obedient. And he says, anybody who's with me, anybody who's obedient to the Father, you are my brothers and sisters. Wow. So like Paul touches on this at least three, four times in his epistles. Um, The idea here is we are adopted. We are sons and daughters of God adopted into God's family because we are in Christ. We are brothers to Christ. Um, In the ancient world, particularly in Roman circles, I believe Jews had the same thing. But in Roman circle, if you adopted a boy or a girl, they were yours. It was illegal to mention that they were adopted again after that. Everybody was to assume that they were your family. Um, Adoption was ironclad and forever in the ancient world. It was a huge, huge deal. And the weight of that was big because Paul would say, we are adopted. How are we adopted? Because Christ bought us and we're brought into the family. And so when Christ looks around, he says, you guys are my brothers and sisters. He is, he's laying down something big. Um, well, what ends up being behind it? Now, if we dig into the Jewish history, there's a lot. There's a lot of weight to this statement. We're not going to do any more of that at this point. Um, we're going to look at what's going on in the world around them at the time so we can get a sense of, and like what the church teaches about it, so we can get a sense of the weight of this. Because there's all these people who are trying to limit Jesus' ministry, and now we have where he says, hey, if you're not trying to limit me, if you're walking with me, if we're moving in the same direction together, you're family. If you're here, you're family. And there's unlimited breadstick. I mean grace. Bread of life. That's it. Bread of life. That's, you all know that, right? Like, if you're here, you're family. That's a Olive Garden. And, yeah, so we get the unlimited bread of life. So we become brothers and sisters through our new life in Christ. We are new creations. Big idea here. Now, I'm going to jump over to, uh, this is labeled John or Mark 3. That actually should be John, the Gospel of John. And we all know this text, or at least know John 3.16. Um, but this is a little earlier in the text. Jesus is out. He's talking to a Nicodemus who's like this famous teacher in Israel. And Nicodemus is one of the few guys at the upper levels of the Jewish courts that's looking at Jesus and saying, oh, wow, he's like checking all the boxes. This guy like is performing miracles. This guy is prophesying. This guy is doing the stuff that the Messiah is supposed to do. Like, we got to take this seriously. Everybody else around him is saying, yeah, we got to kill this guy. Like, he's a problem. And Nicodemus comes along and says, no. And, and like the line before this, hey, it's obvious you're the Messiah. Like, you're obviously from God. And Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, truly, truly, uh, it happens twice in this text. Uh, Truly, truly is an exclamation point. It is a, I am telling you something that is a long, hard, true, like solid, concrete truth. Take it seriously. Um, And so it is a point of emphasis for seriousness or truthfulness of it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I, say, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ooh. There were, it was a common phrase to say that someone's, someone was like a newborn baby. And it was said in the ancient world, like, like it was said as a simile specifically, like a newborn. And it was said of like if you were the head of the Pharisee like academia and you were promoted to, or you were a second guy and you were promoted to the top or you were given a point where you were suddenly a, a full-fledged rabbi and not just a disciple or whatever, like you were said to be like a newborn because you were raised to a new place and you were in a new position. Kings were sometimes described as like a newborn on the day of their coronation because they come into a new life. When a convert to Judaism, this is important, this is the big one, when a convert to Judaism was like initiated into the faith, they were said to be like newborns because their old life was gone and now they have a new life. But Jesus doesn't say like a newborn. He says... You must be born again. He makes a very concrete, very direct, very unbendable statement. No simile, just straight, like spitting truth, um, as the youngins might say. Do they say that? I don't think they do. Um, and so he says, listen, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is looking at him. He's like, I know the simile. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. You're saying concrete stuff that is not a reasonable thing. But what we're going to find is those who are in Christ are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We are born again as new people. And as you really dig into what Christ is talking about, like you receive a new family in the process. Your family, your blood is your family. And I don't think you can really argue anywhere that you're allowed to like toss off your blood family. But also... You receive brothers and sisters who are like closer to you because they are brothers and sisters through the binding of Christ. Spiritually, they are closer to you. And ideally, like that would be the way our blood family is, right? Like I'm really blessed. I get to talk about Jesus with my dad like, like every week we, we talk for an hour or so about, like, about the church or about Christ or about salvation or whatever. And that is like one of the biggest blessings in my life. I talk to my brother about the scriptures pretty regularly, and like I, I'm surrounded by you know family that knows Jesus, and so like they are blood, and they're closer than blood. But in the church, we are surrounded by blood and also closer than blood, um, or we're supposed to be closer to, than blood, right? Um, this actually, over the years in the early church, this was a very serious component of what they did. There was a recurring accusation that Christians were um, uh, perverts, that's the right word, because husbands and wives would often refer to each other as brother and sister. And they treated each other as brother and sister in a lot of ways, which was generally a higher version of treatment than husbands and wives necessarily. Like wives didn't necessarily get great treatment. And like Christians were known for, like husbands were pretty awesome. Like, you know, I assume that followed through. Um, but husbands were given a much higher standard than the rest of the world because they were supposed to treat their, their wives with love like family and spouse, um, brothers and sisters in Christ and spouse. Um, and so Jesus is saying this thing, and he's looking at him. He's like, what are you talking about? And like, what Jesus is really saying is you're made new. You become a new person 
everything starts over. And so the sinful version of you is gone. And like when you come to Christ, by the way, this is a huge deal. We touched on this in the deep dive last week and in the sermon last week. Um, when you are in Christ, the old you that was dead in sin, like who is receiving punishment for sin, like died on the cross with Christ. Like your sin was crucified with him. And so you are forgiven for everything you have done, everything you are doing, and everything you will do. When you are in Christ, that is it. Because that whole thing is gone, and now you are in Christ. You are new. Um, it would be a little like if I, uh, you know, if I died and came back to life and said, well, you know, Eric owed you that money. <laughs> I was totally dead, not just mostly dead. You know, so now I'm out of debt. And Paul does use that analogy. He says, listen, you died your old life, so you don't owe that old debt. And now you're alive in Christ, and so, like, that debt is gone. Oh, man, if only. Um, but it is in Christ that way, which is a bigger truth. And I don't owe anybody money that I know of. Um, descendants of Abraham. Next big idea. Descendants of Abraham were assumed to be saved because they were descendants of Abraham. Now, watch this. I grew up learning and being taught that Jewish people had to work their way to heaven, that they had to follow the commandments well enough to go to heaven. That is actually not accurate. They believed that because they were like sons of Abraham, they were included in the promise, and then like they would obey as a part of like, I don't know, connection to God. I'm not really clear on that. But salvation was associated with their like descendancy from Abraham. And so, like, when you were a son of Abraham, you became a Jew uh, by birth, and then you were circumcised on the eighth day. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom when you get home um, or dad. Um, you're welcome. Uh, but they, they believe that's how you, you know, became a Jew. And then after that, if you were not a Jew, if you were a Gentile, and you were not a Jewish person, but you said, I want to be Jewish, they would do all of this teaching. It would take years to convert. And during that time, you would be what's called a God-fearer. And then they would circumcise you if you were a man, and they would baptize you. Because the historical roots of Christian baptism starts well before the church starts. And like what they would do is they would baptize you, and they would say that in baptism, you are dead to your old life, and you arise a new person. Right? This is kind of cool if you follow it. Because the next guy we see show up doing baptism, the first guy in the scriptures doing baptism, is a fellow named John the Baptist, who was not a Baptist. He was John the Baptizer. Um, although I have heard sermons where people said, you know, with a straight face, he was a Baptist, Southern Baptist through and through. This is from the northern part of the country, though. Um, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has, or who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice will come calling, of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. Uh, people went out from, uh, to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the regions of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this is why this is significant, because John the Baptist comes along and he says, guys, we've all blown it. We're not following God right. We're not part of the covenant family just because we have, like, 
you know, a circumcision thing, um, and because we were born descendants of Abraham, it's not enough. We have to be obedient. And because we're screwing it up, all of us are screwing it up, we have to be brought back in just like new converts. And so he baptized people who repented of their sins. He said, repent of your sins and be baptized, and you'll be like a new convert brought into God's family. There's a stream here. Do you see the thread? Right? Because it's all about family at this point. You have to be born anew. You have to be born of water and spirit. Right? Water and spirit. Baptism and regeneration. Like spiritually. And John comes along and he's the guy who's baptizing. Did you know Jesus did not baptize anyone? Did you know that when they talk about baptism in the book of Acts, they say the baptism of John? Because it was a baptism back into the covenant community, back into God's family. And by our baptism, we are brought back into God's family. Like when we are regenerated spiritually in the baptism, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. Don't hear me saying that. But that's part of what's going on here. So he's saying, look, guys, like you think just because you're descendants of Abraham, you're saved, but you're not. You know, repent, be baptized. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I love that. The phrase is actually sons of snakes. (laughs) I don't know why they changed it. I'm sure it's something King Jamesy or something, but it is a great phrase. You sons of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning actually repent. Don't just say you're doing it. Actually repent, live right, turn around, go the other way from your pride and your arrogance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And so he's saying, listen, you guys are screwing up. You need to do right, repent, turn, be baptized, rejoin the religion of your forefathers, become a son of Abraham through your repentance and washing. And, sorry, deep breath. uh, (laughs) And... Like, and you will be saved. And they're like, we don't need to be baptized. We're not converts. We're sons of Abraham. We already belong. And I've done that in my Christian life where I'm like, I'm following Jesus. I can sin all the more and I keep getting forgiven. It's not repentance, right? Um, That is not new life in Christ. We're called to new life. And so he says, don't say to yourselves, you have this. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. And so he looks at them, he says, listen, you think being sons of Abraham is a big deal. God could take the rocks in the Jordan River and turn them into sons of Abraham, which he actually does, because the Gentiles are the ones who ultimately really receive the gospel. God makes sons of Abraham everywhere through the Holy Spirit, and the, like, like Christ's atoning death for us. And so we become adopted as sons of Abraham. Um, He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Riley, we all know the song. Um, And I am one of them, and so are you. Like, because I am in Christ. Because I am adopted in Christ. Because I am born again by regeneration of my spirit and by the washing, like, of the baptism, right? Like, this is a thing I received. And I belong to Christ now. I am born again. I'm brand new. I ain't like I used to be. And I have new family. Fortunately, I still have my blood family. And you're never given permission to abandon your blood family proper. Um, That's a complicated conversation. We're not getting into it. But you also have other family. Closer, like family that is connected to you through Christ. 
Um, and I realize that every time I get to watch Jeremy be awesome or Adam be awesome or anybody I'm like like praying with and, and watching grow in Christ, like like perform and like grow and exceed and produce good fruit and everything else, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is my brother in Christ. Look at him. Um, I baptize you with the water for repentance. This is John Still. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Wow. And so, up until this point, like, descendants of Abraham, big deal, family, right? We are brothers and sisters, sons of Abraham, therefore we're saved. And Christ shows up and says, no, you need to be born again. You need to be brought back into the family. You need to be washed with water. And the, like and spirit, you need to be born out of these things. Baptize, repent, bear fruit in keeping with salvation. Christ on you, in you, grow into this new person. Like we become new family. The gospel brought those without family into the family. The outsiders are brought in. And this is a contrast because the insiders are standing on the shore, um, probably playing music, uh, and this is a joke for my wife, and nobody else got it. So, But they're on the shore, and they think, we're the insiders, right? Like, we're the guys who are on the inside of God's kingdom. We are family. The same way as mom and brothers are outside of the circle of Christ, and they're looking in, and they're like saying, hey, where's my Jesus? Give him to me. And they're like, we're insiders. And Jesus looks and says, no, the only people that are insiders are the people who are in Christ, the people who are doing God's will, the people who are walking with me. That's how you become an insider. And so what we see in the Gospels, what we see in the, the book of Acts, what we see going on is this idea that people are brought in from the outside. Um, the first instance of this, the one I really wanted to talk about at length, was the Ethiopian eunuch, book of Acts. I'm not going to do the text today because uh, I'm, uh, I'm not. This is what I'm going to cut. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch is this guy who is a eunuch. He's a God-fearer. He cannot become a Jew because... He's a eunuch, and there ain't no one doing that one. Um, and so, like, he, nobody will teach him the scriptures. He's reading the scriptures in his chariot. Philip walks up to him and says, what are you reading? And he says, oh, I'm reading this. And he's like, do you understand what it says? And he's reading the book of Isaiah. And, like, he's like, well, how can I? Nobody will explain it to me. And so Philip sits down and tells him about Christ and then baptizes him in the middle of the desert because the guy's like, hey, look, there's water. Let's do this. I want in. Born again, water, the spirit, and then, and then he probably got back in the thing, and he's riding on, and he reads, and he like two chapters later comes across this story, like this extension of the prophecy he was reading about the lamb before the slaughter and all this other stuff, telling about Christ's crucifixion, and it says like it talks about this idea that in Christ the eunuchs will become a part of God's family, those with no descendants, those who are abandoned will be brought in and adopted. And so this man who was ineligible because he was a eunuch, could never become a part of Abraham's family, is brought in by water and the Spirit. And then he reads and he discovers, I have a place in the house of the Lord forever. My name will live forever in eternity with Christ. Samaritans are brought to Christ. Pagans are brought to Christ. Prostitutes and tax collectors and wicked men are brought to Christ. Paul writes a letter to a guy named Philemon where he says, listen, your runaway slave who robbed you, 
is now a brother in Christ. Bring him back. He ain't your slave. He's your brother. And treat him as such. Because old Onesimus, the slave, is dead. New brother in Christ is here. Those of us who stand without family, those of us who stand and feel alone, and loneliness is one of the most brutal things you can experience, right? It's grinding. You can be surrounded by people and be broken inside because you feel like you're all by yourself, isn't it? That is broken. The door is opened and family is here because of Christ. When you walk in the door of this place and you're in Christ, you are a part of the family of God and you are never, ever, ever alone. I'm going to skip my Romans passage here. I'm sorry. Uh, so we're going to jump up a little bit. What does it mean to be in Jesus' family? First off, it means you're saved. Everything that was before is gone. You are in Christ. Period. New creation. The stuff you lay in bed at night and feel shameful and wicked and think, oh my gosh, I'm the worst person ever. Gone. Gone. Like it never happened. You are brand new, saved, adopted. Even when you were at your worst, he loved you enough to chase and die for you. I'm going to skip over my Hebrews verse. I'm sorry. I'm just going to talk through this stuff. Um, Second here, like you don't face anything alone. My Hebrews verse, I'll do a teaching on it. Um, talks about this idea that we are adopted in, and so we face nothing alone. Like Christ is with us in all things. And when I am tempted, when I, you know, find myself tempted to lie or to be bitter, bitter is fun, isn't it? Angry is fun. Um, When I'm tempted to hate people, when I'm tempted to, you know, gather up wealth for myself, when I'm tempted by the, you know, pictures on the Internet, you know the ones I'm talking about, right? Most of y'all probably don't. You're too innocent. But like those, when that tempts you, Christ faced the same temptation. And Hebrews says, like, hey, not only you were adopted as brothers, he was in the flesh same as you, therefore he can be your brother, and he faced the same temptation you face. And so when you face temptation, when you're afraid, when you're alone, when you want to sin and you're fighting yourself, he's there with you and has done it and aids you. Oh, my goodness. And one of the other ways that he helps you is he puts other believers around you, and you can turn to them and say, all right, I know you're like Christ, too. I know you've got Christ in you. I know you're a new creation, too. I know you're being made like Christ every day, too. Let me talk to you about this. You're never alone. I will tell you, my door and my phone and my everything always open. Come talk to me. Um, Adam, I watched Adam do that for people this weekend. I watched Jeremy do it all the time. I've watched more than a few guys. Terry supports all kinds of folks and prays for them. And I, Daniel over there is better than me at it like ten times over. Um, you know, people will come and he'll pray with them and support them and encourage them. Like you are surrounded by people who will love you and support you and encourage you. And sometimes call you out, which is the best thing you can get, right? You are not alone when you are here. You are family. I'm going to close with a short little quote. Uh, in 1730, there was a guy named George Whitfield. That was the first great awakening. George Whitfield is one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. George Whitfield traveled across the United States and changed or America at the time. Yeah, America at the time and changed the face of this country. He brought people to Christ like by the bucketful, right? He changed this country. First great awakening, it followed George Whitfield and his preaching. And as he's coming across to the United States, or to America, not the United States, um, there, was a, there was a crowd there to greet him. 
that he's already famous because he'd been preaching in England, and um, he's welcomed by other people, right? He's a, a Church of England priest, and Baptists meet him at the gate, or at the dock, and Presbyterians and Quakers. Quakers are interesting, right? But Quakers, who were like, like came to the United States because the Church of England was killing them. Like, they were getting arrested and executed for being Quakers, and that's part of the reason they were there. And, like, George Whitfield meets these Quakers, Lutherans, Congregationalists, Dutch Reformed, which is my dad is and my family, and anyone who preached individual conversion. They meet him at the, at the docks. They meet him on the boat. And he wrote to a clergyman friend. He says, the partition wall has for some time been broken down out of my heart. And I can truly say, whoever loves the Lord Jesus... The same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And as you get up, as you go for lunch, as you go through your week, as you fellowship with people or jump on Facebook, folks who are in Christ, even if they're Catholics, even if they're, you know, Baptists, um, whatever it is they are, like they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They are your family. They're adopted. Um, They share the same spirit. They will stand before God with you in eternity. You're never alone. You have family. You have Christ and you got us. And so my challenge to you walking out the door today is to look around and say, am I ignoring my family? Am I spending time with my family? My brother threw me off a few years ago. He's like, you know, Eric, I don't want to get old and not have a relationship with you. And so he started texting me every day. And now we text and talk every day. Uh, Do you have brothers and sisters? Are you afraid of them because of what history has taught you? I have that problem sometimes. I know a lot of people do. Are you afraid of family because of of brokenness before? Like, let Christ fix it. Come talk to me if you need help. But my challenge to you is to walk out the door today and find family and stand close to them. Love them in Christ. Be united with them in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, you be with us. I pray that you would help us to be the body of Christ family, that we can walk with each other and help each other grow, that we can encourage each other when we struggle. Not that we would abandon our own blood, not that we would anything else, Lord God, but that we would look and know, that we would look and know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, in this community, all over the world. That when we read about Christians persecuted, that's family um, suffering. That when we encounter people who, you know, maybe are weird but know Christ, like, they're family. Help us to love each other like family. Help us to stand together as family. And help us to look and realize that when I look at my brother, I'm looking at, at, you know, at Jesus sometimes. Help us to serve. Help us to, to be together. Um, and most of all, help us to not limit Christ in the work we do. Um, but help us march together as family. Amen. Have a good Sunday.